Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Last week, if you were here or if you were watching online, you would have uh, remembered, hopefully remembered, that I I preached a sermon on... Uh, sluggard or being a sloth, that we're not to be lazy, that we're not to be a sloth or a sluggard, and everyone was pumped up and fired up not to be lazy and a sluggard. And then about three hours later, our Premier says, for the whole week, you're not allowed to leave your house, you sit down and you watch TV, you don't go anywhere, Um, which was really interesting how quickly things can change, how quickly uh, things can escalate. Uh, seem pretty normal, and then all of a sudden, bang, uh, it's all changed, just like that. Jesus tells, I'm going to start by telling a, a few stories. Jesus tells one a story. In Matthew chapter 25, 24, 26, he tells a whole heap of stories or parables about when he will return. And he tells one story about a king. He says there's this king who's going to have a, a big banquet, a big wedding feast. He says he's, he's putting together a big wedding feast for his son who's getting married. And he gets his, his chef, the best calves, the best food. And they start preparing the food. And, and in ancient Near Eastern culture, weddings were, were a big celebration. In fact, you'd spend a whole week, almost think like an Italian wedding or my big fat Greek wedding. Uh, they just go over the top. It's a big celebration. And so he tells this story about this king who, who's putting on this big wedding feast for his son and, and the whole village would have known about it. And he sends out these invites. He invites everyone in the village to come to this feast, this wedding banquet to celebrate. And as he's telling the story, everyone would think, well, that's quite normal. But then suddenly the story kind of derails and changes because once the invites go out, the RSVs come, RSVPs come back and everyone says, no, they can't come. They kind of come up with these random excuses why they can't come to this wedding feast. Yeah, I've got to walk the dog or I'm going to have a fight with my wife that day. I can't come to the wedding. These really poor excuses. And as Jesus is telling this story, he's saying that, you know, people in this story, they're, they're so occupied with their daily routine or they're so occupied with the things of this world that they miss the invitation that God is bringing this wedding feast. He goes on, he keeps telling the story that the king gets so angry and so mad that he's furious and he says, all right, no worries, I'm going to invite all the, the, the outcasts in the town, the homeless people, the sinful people, the people that normally don't get to come to wedding feasts. He fills up this, this banquet, this feast with those people and he says, hey, you get, a, you get an invite to come and eat with God, he's saying, don't Uh, RSVP by saying, I've got better things to do. It's one invite. You get one opportunity. Don't get caught up with the things of this world that you're too busy to come to this feast, this banquet. He he goes on and he tells another story about a person who owns a home. I don't know if you own a home uh, or you've got a home. And he says, if you own a home and you knew that someone, a thief was going to come and break in and steal everything, if you knew the exact time that that was going to happen, what would you do? Would you leave the door open? No, you would sit there and wait. If you knew the time that this thief was going to come and steal everything that you have, you would sit there and wait and not allow this thief or this burglar to come in. And he says, that's what normal people would do. Of course, that's what you would do. And he says, this is the same attitude you should have when it comes to waiting for the Son of God or for Jesus 
to return. He says that you need to be ready, that you need to keep watch, that no one knows the time and hour, but make sure you're ready. In this long discourse of three or four chapters, he keeps telling these stories, all with similar kind of themes, to be ready, to take action, to not fall asleep. He tells another story about a master who is going on a big journey. He says he's going on a big journey and he says to his servants, he said, I will be back. And he says, while I'm away, look after my property, look after my house, look after all my, my lands and my animals, look after that. And he gave individuals different jobs and different tasks. He says, I will be back one day. Do not fall asleep. And then he says, one day the master will come back. And he says, when that day comes, you don't want to be sleeping you don't want to be fast asleep when all of a sudden the master come back and says, Where are the, where's my cattle? Where are my horses? Where's my, how's my house been? Have you been looking after it? He says, do not be asleep. Be ready. And then finally, he, he talks about uh, the, the signs of when Jesus will return or when he will return. And he tells the story of a fig tree. He says, you will know when it's getting closer, he says, when you look at the fig tree, now the fig tree in the Middle East was quite a, a common tree. Uh, he says, you know, when, when the branches start to, to uh, become fresh and the leaves start to sprout, you know that summer is just around the corner. He says, so it will be when I return. You know, when summer's just around the corner, you start hearing those little, what are those things, cicadas, and, they, and, you, and, you, and you can even smell it in the air. And, and so Jesus says, uh, right before that, there'll be wars and rumours and chaos and all. The, he says, it's, it's, it's starting to happen. Now, what do all of these stories have in common? You can go and have a read, three or four chapters there. They're basically saying, no one knows the time or hour when Jesus will return, but we are to be ready, that we're to be watching, that we are to be prepared, that we're not to fall asleep, not to get caught up with the things of this world so busy that we think our life here and the here and now is that important that we forget about the eternal things or the spiritual things. Be alert, be watchful, be watching. Last year, no, the year before, uh, Siobhan and I and the family went to the US, uh, spent eight weeks over there and we spent time with our friends in Seattle uh, for a good three or four weeks. We probably stayed a little bit longer than, I don't know if they'll have us back, but it was a good three weeks at their house. And I remember the second night we were there, uh, it was just, we'd just all gone to bed. It was probably about 12 o'clock. I couldn't sleep that well and I was on my phone. And then all of a sudden, the house starts to shake. And I mean, it is shaking. The light was moving. We had a little desk next to our bed and, and things started to fall off the desk. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is legit. This is an earthquake. Siobhan, was, she's a heavy sleeper, and she's like, oh, tell the kids to stop playing. The kids were fast asleep. And, and I'm like, what is, what is going on? And it felt like it went for a good 30 seconds. And, and then um, I, I listened, and it stopped, and I'm listening to see if my friends have gotten up and no movement, just crickets. And I get on the phone, and then, yep, earthquake, 4.5 in, in uh, Seattle. And then I wake up in the morning, did you guys feel the earthquake? No, I didn't feel it. The, 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 what do you mean? It's not even that big. It's not, not even that bad of an earthquake. Uh, both my friend and, and his wife, his wife grew up in LA, lived in LA, and so she was accustomed to, to earthquakes all the time, whereas me, I was like, no, we've got we to gotta get a helicopter or something to get off the ground because this, everything's shaking. We've got to be... And they're like, oh, that's nothing. They, they were accustomed to these earthquakes. 
They knew, they knew what it felt like, and therefore they, were no, they weren't a big deal. And, and the reason I tell you that is because we become accustomed to the things of this world. We become accustomed to just going through the motions of life. Everything will be okay. Everything's fine, and we, 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 it's just normal. We become accustomed to things. And then all of a sudden, sometimes we get a jolt. Now, last year in March, everything was fine, and then we got a jolt, and we were locked down, and we were freaking out for a little bit. But you know what? After a couple of months, everything was back to normal. And all those things that we said we were going to do and all those promises we made about uh, things that should be a priority in our life, they kind of just slipped away. We became accustomed to doing life the way it was. We got used to the earthquake, so to speak. And then what happened on Sunday? A jolt. There was a jolt, wasn't it? Everything was, we've had it so good here. Life has just been the same, really. Uh, hardly any real restrictions apart from having to scan in. The economy is firing along and we can gather and we can do... And then last Sunday, we were reminded, actually, we are not in control. That we were told not to move, we have to do this. We, oh, this could get bigger than it, than it is currently. And we're reminded, actually, we're not in control. That we're not in control. You see, there's an illusion of certainty. We have an illusion of certainty in our life, especially here in, in Western culture where we have, we have it so good. And that's, we shouldn't feel guilty about that. But there's this illusion of certainty that everything is just okay. That everything will just keep on going. I love this quote here uh, by Anne Lamont. She says this. I don't know if it's up there on the screen. Um, there it is there. She says that the opposite of faith is not doubt. When we think of the opposite of faith, we think doubt. But she actually says the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. So when there's certainty, we, we don't need faith. But the thing about this is there actually is no real certainty unless you place it in Jesus. Because at a drop of the hat, the Premier could say we're in lockdown. That we can be jolted just like that, that, that things can change so fast that we are not in control. And I think when Jesus was telling those stories and those parables, that is what he was saying that you aren't in control. There is no rule outside of knowing Jesus. There is no certainty. And actually anything can change. So be ready. Be watching. Be, be awake. Be active and be awake. And, 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 and you, sometimes when you think about that, maybe that scares you. Maybe that worries you. I don't know what it does. I know last year everyone was, there was a general fear out there that people were concerned. Is this the end of the world? What's going to happen? And I think it was, a, it was a right fear. If you didn't know Jesus, even if you did know Jesus, people were afraid. But like I said, a bit of normality comes back and all those things get pushed away. Maybe it was a warning. Maybe it was the fig tree, the leaf on the fig tree. Or maybe it was the, the, uh, the king uh, uh, inviting people to the wedding feast. We don't know. But what happens is when that certainty creeps in, we tend to just, all right, we'll push God away. We don't need him anymore. But again, last Sunday, we were reminded, jolt, jolt, jolt. We're not in control. There's no certainty outside of Jesus. So how are you ready? Well, the first real two ways, the first way is this. You say yes to Jesus. You, you need to, to, need to uh, commit your life to being a follower of Jesus. Jesus comes and, and he says he gives us life and life to the full. And, and when we believe in Jesus, that's the first aspect of being ready. You can't be ready without Jesus. 
Jesus says he's the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So to be ready, firstly, you need to have Jesus. You need to have faith in Jesus. You need to trust Jesus. You need to say yes to Jesus. Without him, you are not ready. Without him, you don't get an invitation to the, the, the feast. You need Jesus. You're his plus one. I've never heard of this plus one stuff. Apparently, my, my daughter's starting to go on parties and, and you're allowed to have a plus one when you go to a party. Um, uh, if you're a plus one, as far as I'm concerned, you're not invited. But anyway, um, with, with Jesus, you are his plus one. He will, he will take you in. So the first thing you need to be ready is you need to say yes to Jesus. And then the, maybe you've already said yes to Jesus. And the second part of that is, well, okay, I've said yes to Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to be watching? What does it mean to be ready? Well, it means you faithfully live out your calling, whatever that is. You live out your life faithfully. The person who is living faithfully and serving and following Jesus need not fear. You say yes to Jesus and you faithfully live out your serving and your calling. Uh, you follow Jesus in obedience. Look at this passage here in First Peter. Uh, Peter says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, again, this, this concept of being alert and watchful, uh, set your hope on the grace uh, to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That as Christians, this is the key here, that as Christians we must constantly accept Jesus uh, while, so we accept Jesus as our saviour, while we we accept that he's going to return, we accept that it could be any time. There's a danger in that because if we sometimes just think, oh, Jesus is coming back, we don't do anything. We become the sluggard and sloth. No, no. That is not being ready and being watchful. We accept that Jesus will come back while we persevere. We persevere and, and we're obedient and we live out mission. So this morning I want to touch on this beautiful little passage. First Corinthians, here it is on your screen. It says this, because this gives us kind of four or five tips into being ready. The first one, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing the chapter before this. He talks about Jesus coming back and that we're going to get these resurrected bodies. And then in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse six, uh, 13, it says this, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be people of courage. Be strong do everything in love. Isn't it? It just, it's a beautiful passage. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be people of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. So the first instruction there is to be on your guard. Be on your guard. Some translations say stay alert, watch, stay awake. The message translation or uh, paraphrase says keep your eyes open. And I was thinking, that's an interesting phrase, because I think sometimes we can live life with our eyes closed, that even though we're doing life, our actual eyes are closed because we get caught into that mundaneness and routine. You know, when you, you drive somewhere and you just arrive and you're thinking, I don't know how I got here, and you know how many traffic lights you've gone through, it's kind of like, no, 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 keep your eyes open, keep your eyes open. It's the opposite to what we talked about last week laziness and sleepiness, a wake-up, look-around. Now, this term, and, and a few of the little things here, is Paul is drawing a, a military metaphor or a military term, a military analogy. He says, a soldier is focused and alert. A soldier is focused and alert. A soldier who is on guard, they don't get to sleep, do they? 
Because if they do sleep, what happens? They get shot in the leg or the bottom or the arm, wherever. Probably not the bottom, but they get shot. If they're not on guard, they have to be on guard. They're not at a very good shoulder, uh, shoulder a soldier, if they're not awake and alert. So, so a soldier, the military term. And the other thing is, when you think about a soldier, is they don't get caught up in civilian affairs, do they? Their task is their mission. Their task is to listen to their commanding officer. Uh, that's what they are to do. They're not to get caught up and entangled in the civilian affairs. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, that no one engaged in warfare entangles themselves with the affairs of this life. Now, we have to live life and uh, we have to pay bills. And if we've got children to look after and work and house, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. But when they become all-consuming, when they become the number one priority, priority in living life and, and they d- deter you from the things of God, then, then you're becoming entangled with the things of this, this world. Uh, We are to please our commanding officer. You know, a new recruit, if you're a Roman guard, a new recruit, uh, you'd obviously be trained. I think they were the first, if not one of the first nations or superpowers to have a professional military, as in they worked and got paid to be Roman soldiers. And they would take this oath, the sacramentum, here it is up on the screen, If anyone can read it, they can get a prize because it's in Latin. Um, But they would take this oath of loyalty. I get my kids to say this to me every night when they go to bed. This oath of loyalty. No, I don't. But, but, But it's to their emperor. And it's one that they would be on guard, that they would be watching, and they would follow and serve the emperor. That's the oath that they make. Now, now Paul is saying the same thing, that Jesus is our king. He's not just the security ticket we put in our back pocket so we can get to heaven. No, he is our king and we fall under his authority. And so we, we have a sacramentum to him to follow, to serve, to be loyal to him. That the Christian must be loyal to the king of kings, to be on guard. Now, when you think about what are we, what are we actually guarding, um, we're not guarding a possession or a house or it means to be alert, but think about guarding your hearts. The things that we let get into our hearts, if we let bitterness and anger get into our hearts, that's going to affect the way we act to people. Some of the stuff we put in our minds, we need to guard our minds. Romans says that we should, uh, we're transformed by the renewing of your mind, that the things that we put in our mind, the things that we watch and listen to and hear, if we put rubbish in, then we're not guarding it. We want to put good stuff in and think and, and reflect. And so then we're, if we don't, we're, we're not guarding our hearts, guarding our spirit, guarding our tongue, guarding our theology or the things that we believe. That some things, they're not, we shouldn't, they're unbiblical. So we need to know our Bible and understand it, guard our theology, guard our character and our actions, our values, the way we live. They're the things that we are to to guard. And I think Paul also is saying when we are to uh, be on guard, to guard all of those things, he also wants us to be prepared. A good soldier is always prepared. Look what uh, it says here in 1 Peter 3. It says, but in uh, your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Swiss Army knife. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, uh, but do this with gentleness and, and some 
gentleness and kindness, I think is, is what it says, that we should always be prepared. Be on your guard means we are prepared. I don't know if you've heard of Henry Nguyen, uh, Roman Catholic uh, contemplative spiritualist. He's uh, got some great books and uh, lived in a monastery for many, many years, 40 plus years. In one of his books, uh, Time Enough to Minister, he tells a story how the abbot, I think the abbot is kind of the head of the, the monastery, uh, he, he asked Henry uh, to do some lectures for some students, some seminary students. And Henry Newland's like, I don't, why, why, should I, why should I give up my time to do those lectures? I don't have time to prepare for those, for those lectures. And the abbot went back to him and said something very, very interesting. He says, prepare. Why do you need to prepare? You've been a Christian for 40 years. Why do you have to prepare, he says. You've been praying for 40 years. You've been worshipping. You've been reading scripture for 40 years. You've been communing with God for 40 years. You should have enough material for 10 retreats or 10 different lectures. And his point is this, that, that life is, we should be prepared as we do life as a Christian. That we're absorbing it and we're studying it and we're learning it. We're on guard. We are watchful. Be on your guard is the first one. Then he says this, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. On Australia Day, uh, the, the family and a, a group of other families, we went to City Beach and um, we were involved in a fight. No, we weren't involved in that fight if you saw that fight there. Actually, we just missed it. We didn't see any action. But we were there and uh, the waves were crashing and, and it was great. We went out there and did some, uh, tried to body surf, and, um, which is really hard when you're afraid of sharks and you only go down to this deep, um, the waves don't. But anyway, what was hilarious, it was so rough. You would go out and Josiah, my youngest, he's, he's uh, only 10, because he was so light and he couldn't put his feet on the ground, he would go out, he would hit the water, boom, he'd end up at Scarborough. Like it was, the water would just wash him away and he'd be 30 metres down the beach. And he's like, Dad, I can't, I can't. And he'd have to swim back out, then run along the beach, hop back in. And, and, and it was because he couldn't ground himself. Even myself, and you know, I've got some strong legs and I'm trying to ground myself. And it was hard. You need to stand firm. This is what Paul is saying. We need to stand firm in your faith. Is it going to be easy? No, sometimes it's really, really hard. Stand firm, again, another military term. It's a military term for holding the position, holding the position that is under attack. And in fact, it's got this concept, not just holding, but moving forward, gradually moving forward. The courage to hold your ground because of your alliance to Jesus. Jesus tells a story about two builders. You probably know this one. He says, there was two builders, a foolish builder and a wise builder. He says the, wise, the foolish builder built his house. Uh, uh, he went, found a, a plot of land and it had sand. He said he used sand as the foundation. He started to build. He got his products from Bunnings because they were still open. And, and he was building this house on the sand. Everything went really, really well. Uh, he was loving it, sitting back. Then all of a sudden there's a storm. It says the waves crashed and, and the rain came down. There was lightning. The river started to flood. And what happened? It washed away his house. And he said he's foolish because he built his house upon the sand. And he said then there was another builder who was wise. Why was he wise? Well, this guy built the same house, went to the same Bunnings, got the same products, got the same tradesmen. But this guy's house was built on what? He said he built his house on rock. 
not sand. And he said, then the rains came, the storms came, the lightning came, the, the river went up and it flooded, but the, the house was solid. Why? What made him wise? He built his house upon the rock. And Jesus says that, what is the rock? He says, anyone who listens to my words and does them and puts them into action is like the wise guy, or the wise, guy, the wise man who built his house upon the rock. You see, they're not houses that Jesus is talking about. Jesus in that story is talking about houses representing your life, your life. And you can choose to build your life on the, sh- the, the sifting sand or the shifting sand of, of this world with its uncertainty, or you can choose to build your life upon the rock of Jesus. How do you do that? You stand firm in your faith. How do you stand firm in your faith? Well, Jesus says, those who listen to my words and put them into action. So when you put the words of Jesus into action, they shape your life, then you are standing firm in your faith. You're building your house upon the rock. Paul goes on in this, in this letter to the Corinthians, and he says, let nothing move you, not sickness, not hardship, not tiredness. Now, this stuff isn't easy But he says, let nothing move you, not depression, not poverty, not persecution, not failures, not opinions from other people that say you're wrong. Let nothing move you. Stand firm in your faith. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus died. Jesus has victory. And when the storms come, if you build your life upon the solid ground of of Jesus, you are solid you are safe how do you do that bible prayer putting the words of jesus into action and the other way which i think is really really important is through christian community through church here's a picture so when when jesus when paul was using that military term of standing firm it was actually done in a group not on your own now we, we we stand firm in our faith in our own personal relationship but we're not meant to do it on our own Here's the Roman legion, uh, and they were locked in shoulder to shoulder with their shields, side by side, on the top. And imagine all the force, just not just one person compared to seven, eight, nine, ten people. And this is the, what's floating around in his mind. And I think it's an important analogy for us that we're not to do it on our own, that we stand firm on your faith, but we do it inside of community. A second Thessalonians says this, so then brothers and sisters, stand firm. There it is there. He's saying it collectively, plural, as a community. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word, mouth, or by letter. So stand firm in your faith. The third one, uh, the second last one we've got, is be people of courage and be strong. Be people of courage and be strong. They're two separate ones, but they basically mean the same thing. Have strength, but be people of courage. Courage is having the ability to, to face pain, having the ability to face grief, having the ability to, to, to face hardships, having the, the ability to go where, you, where you're uncertain or even afraid. Courage is the ability to, to act on one's belief despite danger or disapproval. Now, when we think sometimes, and maybe this is just me, when we think of courage and, and strength, we, we kind of have this image here that uh, that's a picture of me when I was younger uh, that that to be to be courageous and to be strong you've got to have lots of muscles or you have to be like this Rambo kind of that's not courage 
This is courage. This is courage. I don't know if anyone knows who this is. This is Arena Sandler. Uh, she's from Poland. Uh, she passed away in 2008, I think. Incredible story. She smuggled 2,500 Jewish children during the World War II. She smuggled them. She would go around in her uh, truck and, and, and see where Jewish kids were hiding, take them and smuggle them and, and get them off to, to orphanage, Christian orphanages. She would actually write down their names so she would try to, uh, so she thought if there was ever a time that this ever ended, I, would, I could then maybe link them back up to their families. Two and a half thousand children she saved. Eventually, the Nazis, the German Nazis, captured her, found out what she was doing. They broke both her legs and both her arms. Incredible story. Incredible woman of faith. Uh, and anyway, she survived that. The war ended. She survived that. Then coming out of that, uh, she actually, her mission was to reunite those children to their, their parents. She had, a, she had jars in her backyard of the children's names. And she, she obviously went and got those jars. And her, her mission was to reunite as many of those children with her parents. That's courage. Yes? That's strength. I, I read this quote, and, and not verbatim. She said something like, um, she feels guilty that she didn't do more. What an incredible woman. Incredible woman of strength and courage. Paul says that we are to be people of courage. Now, her faith was what drove her as well. We are to be people who are strong. Here's, here's, a, here's a picture, I think, of courage. There's an incredible picture of courage, just undermanned, underpowered, whatever you think of the, the whole political situation there. 1989, a pro-democracy demonstrations, and this picture is just a demonstration of strength and courage to stand against what is wrong. Here's another picture I find interesting, and there's a whole background to this story. This German man refuses to hail Hitler. He refuses to do it. Courage and strength. Here's another picture. I don't know if anyone knows who this is. Anyone want to have a shot? Rosa Parks. She had the courage and the strength to sit on a seat that said whites only. I'm not sure what year it was, but she had the courage to sit on that seat. And she changed that whole community and, and it, and it uh, brought about some incredible transformation. That is courage. That is courage. Here's a a picture uh, taken on someone's iPhone. Uh, but the, the martyr, people that have been martyred for their faith, millions of Christians have been martyred for their faith in Jesus. The courage to be strong. This is actually uh, a painting of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, where he, he preached to the Pharisees and they stoned him to death, as in they threw rocks at him until he died. And there's hundreds and thousands and and millions of stories of people having courage be strong. We are to be people of courage. I don't know if you've read any of the, the stories of how Christians have, have responded during pandemics, the Spanish flu, those types. Of, they're the ones that would go out and, and help people. Why? Because they had a greater faith, a greater hope. We are to be people of courage. We are to be strong. Courage to do something new and go against certainty. Courage to share your faith, courage to forgive, to love and not be caught up in, in the mundane things of this world. Courage to speak truth, to live truth, 
courage to trust God in all areas of your life. And the reason we can have courage, it's not just a blind risk-taking faith, it's, it's, it's a legitimate, we can have courage because we know that God is there. God is on, uh, beside us. Doesn't mean he always removes the suffering, but he, he's there with us. Look at this passage here. I love this passage, Isaiah 41, 10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not, uh, 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 be not discouraged, sorry. Do not be discouraged. So discouraged means take your courage away. He's saying, no, have courage. Do not, why do we have courage? Why don't we have to be afraid? Because he says, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Did uh, Arena Sendler ever get scared? I'm sure she did. I'm sure she was discouraged at times. Did Rosa Parks? I'm sure she was. Absolutely. But they kept being uh, courageous, they kept going with that strength. And we can do that because we have God. We have God. And I kind of look at it like this. Uh, several years ago, I think I told you a little story. We went uh, on a holiday to Adelaide and we went up this massive climbing thing. That there is about four stories high. It's just a huge thing. And it's got rope, uh, oh no, wire. And you wear like a harness and you walk around the different levels. Here's uh, Michaela. Oops, there's Michaela. I didn't do it because I was just making sure everything was all right at the bottom, make sure the kids were fine and make sure no one stole the car. Um, but but you, you, you've got this harness and you're up there and you're walking along wires and all this kind of stuff. But what's really cool is this harness has two uh, clips. I'm not sure the correct term. Does anyone know what they're called? Carabiners. Sounds like a beer. Uh, have a carabiner. But anyway, the carabiners, there was two of them. And the way they work is, because if you go one way and then you want to go to this different, you have to unlock the carabiner and lock it on. But while one is unlocked, it's impossible to un unlock the other one. There's always one point. There's always one of those, those things connected to a wire. You physically can't undo both. As soon as you hook that one up and lock it in, then you can undo that one and lock. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And for me, that, that reminds me of this passage that, that we're to move forward, we're to step forward, but we know that, that God's got one of the carabiners, that he's locking us in. Uh, and so we are to... Uh, be, be people of courage, be strong. So we have be on your guard, we have stand firm in your faith, we have be people of courage, be strong, and, and then God, God, Paul just wraps it all up, and what does he say? And do everything in love. He says, do everything in love. And this kind of sums it all up. Really, that's, that's what it means to be a Christian, to do everything in love. Speak truth in love. Love is an action. And, and if you know the, this passage or this uh, book of the Bible, three chapters before this is what? The wedding chapter or the wedding passage. What is the wedding passage? This one here. Love is patience. Let me read this uh, to you. Because what Paul is saying is, do everything in love. Love is not just a gooey feeling. Um, it's, it's, it's not just a, an emotion, it's an action. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. Wow, 
It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. P- perseveres. Love never fails. If, you want, if, we, if we've said yes to Jesus and we want to live out our mission and calling, if we want to be ready, waiting for Jesus, then we try to live this. Do everything in love. If you, if you were to do that, gee, you'd be doing pretty good, wouldn't you? So, so why don't we personalise it? In fact, when I do weddings, I tend to read this passage and I say to the people getting married, you need to personalise this passage. Anthony is patient. No, he's not. Uh, uh, Anthony is kind. When you put your own name there, it gets a little bit harder, doesn't it? Put your own name there. Anthony is patient. Uh, Anthony is kind. Anthony does not envy. Anthony does not boast. Put your own name there. Make this personal. Put it into action. Do everything in love. Jesus says that we are to be ready, that we are to be awake, that we, we shouldn't be sleeping, that we have to say yes to him, that we should be faithfully living out our calling, uh, living uh, with obedience, serving and following Jesus. How do we do that? Well, we do it with this verse. We be on our guard like a soldier. We stand firm in our faith. Applying the things of Jesus like a, a builder who built his house upon the rock. We do that individually. We do that collectively in community. We be people of courage and we be strong. Not a masculine, oh, I'm so strong on steroids, strong. No. A strength that stands up for what is right. A strength that does what the word of God teaches us to do. Be, be courageous and be strong. Why? Because we know that on one part of the, the carabiner or the harness, God is there. He's got us. So we can step out and be courageous and strong and we do everything in love. How cool is that? It's a lot there, isn't it? I want us to all do that by next Sunday. Yeah? Let's pray. Most gracious Father, thank you that you are a God who does love us. Father, as we've already seen, heard, experienced that our world in many ways is chaotic and out of control. Lots of different things, lots of good things happening. We, we, see, we see the fires, but then we also see the best part of humanity, the heroism of, of firefighters and, and the charity of people, who, who, all that kind of stuff. We see the good and we see the bad, Father. Lord, as Christians, you call us to, to be ready. You call us to um, be people of courage. You call us to stand firm on our faith. And you call us to, to do all of this in love. Help us to do that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.